Good morning, uh, or good afternoon, I'm not sure when you guys are going to watch this, but um, this is Pastor Ryan Vito here, and uh, yeah, welcome to the, the sermon. Um, you can see I'm outside, I am just around the corner from my home here in Dandenong, and uh, thank you Roy and Jinha for allowing me to um, have a word with your community this morning, or afternoon as I should say. I'm just going to ask for you to bow your heads wherever you are, and we're going to have a word of prayer. So uh, bow your heads with me wherever you find yourselves. Thanks. Father in heaven, Lord, um, I just want to pray and uh, ask that you would be with me as I share a word with um, the Melbourne City Adventist Church. Um, they're a great group of people, and um, they're not able to meet in person. I do pray, though, that the words that I share would be relevant all the same. So bless us uh, as we uh, explore your word, as we explore some ideas together, is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now, um, we're going to jump right into it. I'm going to give you some forewarning. There is a lot of quotations today, a lot of Bible, a lot of church quotes. Uh, we're going we're gonna to do some uh, explorations today. And it all kicks off in 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. So, I'm going to read through that. There's a lot going on here. Um, but, yeah, let's just do it. So, Second Thessalonians 2, chapter 2, sorry, verse 1. And it begins like this. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we believe we gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. So the day of the Lord, just hit the pause button, it was this concept that Jesus is coming, okay? Um, not the Lord's Day, you often see that in the New Testament, there's the Lord's Day and the day of the Lord. Day of the Lord is just this sort of cataclysmic event where he returns in all of his glory and fullness. So Paul's giving a warning against that. Don't be fooled, he continues, by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The one who brings destruction, he will exalt himself and defy everything that the people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. And Paul finishes by saying this, Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? So this is a really interesting place to go right after your Beatitude Sermon series. And I have no doubt that it was amazing. It was wonderful. And um, yeah, bear with me. Hopefully it'll all come together as we uh, um, journey through this message. But what do we know? Paul says, remember what I told you. We don't know what Paul said to the Thessalonians um, with regards to this um, man of lawlessness um, when he was with the Thessalonians. We don't really know. All we have are the clues from the passage we've just read. And, um, you know, when you read, well, when you consider what we've just read and even more broadly around these passages, you see that somebody was going to come in sheep's clothing. So, look like everybody, talk like everybody, um, but in fact it was actually a wolf, right? This person, uh, who I actually believe was a real person in that time that Paul was expecting, um, was going to bring a sense of confusion and 
This was a real problem in the church in Thessalonica, okay? Um, they had kind of a history of being um, manipulated spiritually, and Paul, he's establishing them as a church. He's worried that they will once again be manipulated, but now as followers of Jesus, okay? Now, all of this is wrapped up in this day of the Lord uh, talk, this kind of big moment where Jesus would come back and... Um, as we know, Jesus has not yet returned, but there was this big sense that he would be returning as the message went out in that first century context. Um, so what is interesting, though, is that this person that Paul warns about is described as a, uh, uh, as a man of lawlessness, okay? And um, that gives you the sense that he disregards people's laws or somebody's laws okay and we're also told that with him comes a sense of rebellion now the word rebellion is where we get the word apostasy from in english it's actually a greek word called apostasia but at the root of that word is actually not really a sense of a religious um rebellion so much but political rebellion so the rebellion that this person brings, it's a, it's kind of political in nature. And when you think about what Paul's mission was, he was trying to establish Christian communities. So this is a political attack against God, against his kingdom, against his principles. And I really thought it would be worth exploring this because you guys have just journeyed through a sermon series where you look at Jesus's kingdom principles. What were they all about? The Beatitudes are the place where Jesus, for the first time, really articulates in one place, what am I all about? What is my kingdom all about? I watched a YouTube video not too long ago where Jordan Peterson breaks down as a psychiatrist, coming to terms with what the different principles of Jesus' kingdom meant or and mean today. And I found that quite fascinating. This guy who very book smart, very well learned, very well read, um, just crumbled at the beauty of Jesus's kingdom principles on display. And this person is coming to really undermine what that's all about. Okay, he, by many theologians, has been described as an antichrist. A lot of the activity we read that is being described is anti the person of Jesus. Okay. Um, see in verse 4 of Thessalonians, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, he will exalt himself. He's going to lift himself up a bit and defy everything that the people call God and every object of worship. This guy's really against what Paul's tried to promote. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Now, that's really interesting, this concept. And um, if you've been in the Adventist community, you probably won't be surprised where I'm about to go. For some of you, that this might be new. But I'm going to go to a guy called Daniel. 
Daniel had a lot to say about this person, and he describes him in slightly different terms. Okay, we're going to read now in Daniel chapter 7, verse 20, and just to paint the picture, um, Daniel's had this crazy vision from God. He has seen these animals emerge out of the ocean, and they don't look like normal animals. There's a lot of symbol there. There's a lot of um, historical uh, descriptions that are being presented in these weird animals. But the last animal that emerges is this monster that um, Daniel can't even really describe properly. So he does his best. And here's a part of the description of this creature. I also asked about the ten horns on the fourth beast. This is the final beast. It's the fourth beast on its head. And the little horn that came up afterwards and destroyed three of the other horns. This horn had seemed greater than the others. And it had human eyes and a mouth and was boasting arrogantly. As I watched this horn, um, it was waging war against God's holy people and was defeating them. A lot of people have seen a connection between what Paul's describing here, um, well, in, in first Thess- Second Thessalonians and here in Daniel 7. Okay. Um, now, I remember leading a group of students through this. I used to be a teacher. And I said, hey, let's try and put together who this could be. Okay, we have this little horn. He emerges out of ten horns. They're these sort of ten kingdoms, if you will, if we're following the Bible symbols, and we don't have time to go into that. And he displaces three in particular. Okay, and um, some people have seen that symbol symbology fulfilled in in aspects of Europe. Okay, he's like a king, but he's different to other kings. We're told um, he makes war with God's people. He speaks against God, and he intends to change times and laws. These are all things that we see in Daniel chapter 7, if we were to read on a little bit um, within that chapter. Now, it was funny, because when I shared this with my students, one of them was a um, a very proud member of her religion, and you'll find out what that is in a moment. But she said, sir, as... We go through this, and you've sort of pulled all of the historical details together. I feel like this is a description of the Catholic Church in the Bible. And I'm like, look, I think you could be right on some level. And uh, many of you will be familiar with this. But the Adventist Church and many other churches have kind of seen a description here of the Roman Catholic Church. It's a, it's a, it's a, a community of people that emerged in Europe. Um, Historically, it kind of is seen as replacing three kingdoms sort of were destroyed at the hands of the Roman Catholic Church. It's kind of like a kingdom, but it's not a kingdom at the same way. Um, Many Christian groups were sort of attacked by the Catholic Church if they weren't quite in alignment with them. And um, one prominent activity that the church did historically was shift the Sabbath day from Saturday, which is when you'll watch this video, to Sunday. Okay? And I have this quote from one theologian, non-Adventist, and it's really interesting. He says, the Adventist position um, is that the man of lawlessness is the Roman Catholic Church, which was foretold in the little corn prediction of Daniel 7.25. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. This is to take taken to mean that Rome, so the theory goes, by changing the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday, has committed sacrilege against the law of God as if it were in the place of God. 
This interpretation stresses that no one individual can fulfill the prediction of the man since its work never takes place over centuries until the coming of Christ. He claims to be God, and in that case, he's not really literally God, but rather he's claiming some of God's prerogatives, the right to forgive sins, to be the sole means of salvation, and to demand the total obedience of Christ. So, there's a bit of a description. Now, again, interesting place to go to after a sermon on the Beatitudes. Okay, but one of the things that we saw in in 2 Thessalonians is that this particular man of lawlessness, and we sort of equate him with the picture here in Daniel, he has this objective to, you know, whole sacrifices that happened at the temple, and he wants to sit in the temple of God. And when you try and look historically at what temple is being described, you actually hit a bit of a problem if you go to the literal building that was the temple. King Solomon built the temple that the Jews would worship at, and uh, it was destroyed by the Babylonians, by King Nebuchadnezzar. It was rebuilt uh, by King Herod, and there was a second temple that we know as King Herod's temple. Now, that was destroyed uh, towards the end of the first century. Um, John, one of Jesus' good friends, may have still been alive when this took place. And so we don't really think that that temple being described is this literal building, because there was no building um, after a time. Now, the Bible gives us some clues as to what this temple could be. And I'd like to make a a proposition to you here as we go through the Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? All right? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. There's a crazy warning there. Ephesians 2.19 Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens if you're not a Jew, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Catch the language here. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Building analogy here. With Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone, when you built in ancient times, you started with this corner block. And they describe Jesus here, uh, um, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. You too are being built together to become a holy dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Interesting picture here, right? First Peter 2, 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Here's a beautiful description in the Bible that there is more than just the physical building that is the temple. There was the temple that Solomon and um, later King Herod would build. There's a heavenly temple or the sanctuary that we're told of. But then there is also the temple that the Bible describes as you, you and me. Okay. Um, I have this quote, and this is a quote from one of the founders of our church. I'm going to refer to her quite a bit today. But she talks about a moment in Jesus' life when he cleansed the temple. And she's going to describe this event where he overturns the tables that were being used to sell animals for sacrifice or to exchange money. She's going to describe this event very interestingly, and I want you to capture how she describes what's going on here. 
in the cleansing of the temple, Jesus was announcing his mission as the Messiah. Hey, I'm here. I'm the one that's being promised in history, the one who's coming to make a difference, to reconcile heaven and earth. Okay, that temple erected for the abode of the divine presence was designed to be an object lesson. The temple that was there in the desert, the temple that Solomon built, that that they are now in, it's actually symbolic of something bigger than what it actually was. It wasn't a thing in and of itself, but it was pointing to something else. From eternal ages, it was God's purpose that every created being, from the bright and holy angel to man, should be a temple for the indwelling of the Creator. The temple, the building, was a place where God would live, according to the Old Testament. Okay, um, And that's a, a picture of how God wants to live in you and I. But because of sin, humanity ceased. Humanity stopped to be a temple for God. Darkened and defiled by evil, the heart of man no longer revealed the glory of God, um, the Divine One. But the, by the incarnation, by the coming into history, the Son of Man, the Son of sorry, the Son of God, the purpose of heaven is fulfilled. God dwells in humanity, and through saving grace, the heart of man became again His temple. Beautiful picture. Here we see that 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 humans. Ellen White also sort of corroborates the picture in Scripture. We are meant to be this place that God wants to live through His Holy Spirit. Okay? And um, I think that's beautiful. Now, what if the person that was described in Daniel, the person that's described in 2 Thessalonians, is coming to uproot Jesus in His temple? You and me. What if that's what's going on over here? Okay, um, what if this is what this antichrist is, is 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 coming to do? I've told you that we sort of historically identified, um, you know, the Roman Catholic Church. I like to call them the first church, as what was being described there in Daniel. Um, but where I want to go now in this little, in the in the closing moments of this message is to sort of flip the script a little bit on this picture. Yeah. We've often identified the, this group of people as the Roman Catholic Church. But here, listen to what Martin Luther, the, 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 the founder of the Reformation, had to say. I am more afraid of my own heart than of the Pope and all of his cardinals. I have within me the great Pope self. Whoa, what are you saying there, Martin? Martin saw this, this quality in him that was very similar dare I say it, to the picture that's being described in Daniel and Second Thessalonians of, you know, I want things my way. I want to do it this way as opposed to God's way. All right. Our founder, again, this is what she had to say in 1887. She said, we are far more to fear within than from without. The hindrances to strength and success are far greater from the church itself than from the world. Catch this. Whatever the papacy is, happens to be up to, the more crucial question is, what are we ourselves up to in our daily dealings with one another, in our homes, our churches, and our conferences? Don't worry about what other people are up to, she says. Worry about what's going on in your own heart, in your own church, in your own broader community. Is what you're showing manifesting the qualities of Jesus? 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. All of these qualities. Do you see that manifested in your community? Or do you see the spirit of self? Okay. Um, I have so many quotes and it was kind of hard to distill which ones I should read to you. But there is a moment... um, in the development of the the Adventist church early on in its sort of inception where Ellen, one of the founders again, she saw this spirit of me and what I want starting to emerge and she wasn't a fan of it. She actively spoke against it. Okay. Um, Here's what she has to say. The spirit of domination is extending to the presidents of our conferences. Okay. This position to lord it over over God's heritage will cause a reaction unless these men change their course. Those in authority should manifest the spirit of Christ. They should deal as he would deal with every case that requires attention. The leaders of the church back then were starting to manifest qualities that were not really in keeping with the Beatitudes, right? In not in keeping with the kingdom of heaven. It wasn't about... God's kingdom, it was about their kingdom, alright the goodness, mercy and love of God were, as she says proclaimed by Christ to Moses, this was God's character when men who profess to serve God ignore his parental character and depart from honour and righteousness in dealing with their fellow men, Satan is exalted, for he has inspired them with his attributes they are following in the track of Romanism. Fascinating quote, right? Um, I think this is really cool, but she, there are so many places we could go to where we could draw this idea out. And again, I want to bring you back to our, um, our opening passage here. Okay? Let me have a look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 3 to you. Okay? Um, don't be fooled by what these people have to say, for the day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. What is that rebellion? I reckon, as you have journeyed through the Beatitudes, what has been through a rebellion against those principles that you've just spent time learning about? Okay? Where am I? Where am I? There's going to be that great rebellion. Don't be fooled by that, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed the one who brings destruction. What if there's coming a time in history, there already has actually, I I believe, where people are uprooting God's place in their lives and they're choosing to do it my way as opposed to God's way. Here's my final quote to you. It's from Ty Gibson. And I think he really nails this one. He goes, So then, when human beings, guided by their carnal instincts, create a religion band together to practice that religion, it will naturally take the form of a system that exalts the human self to the place of God and offers humanity salvation by means of self-justifying rituals and practices. Ty Gibson sees every group of people that gathers in the name of God is susceptible to going down a path where they can put human self before God, where the rituals that they develop, the things that bring meaning and value, that the way we connect with God, those can become saving things in and of themselves. And he says, that's what papacy is all about. Right? And that's how the first papacy evolved. 
I like to, when I talk about the, the Roman Catholic Church, I like to refer to them as the first church. They have their roots in in the apostolic movement of the first century. They were, they we, we see the church fathers of history, Augustine, Irenaeus, all of these great men. These were the sort of the founding fathers of this movement which would evolve. The Catholic Church had its, its starts in a, in a good place. The Adventist Church had its roots in a good place. But friends, it's so easy for those places of origin to sort of evolve and emerge and the traditions that go with, with how we were formed. All of these rituals can become saving acts in and of themselves. People can start to get promoted and exalted and, and it becomes about our way, not God's way. And this can happen on an individual level. He says it is our fallen world's dark masterpiece of self-exaltation and self-justification masquerading as God's church. We can see then that papal principles permeate human nature and are liable to creep into any church unless specifically identified and repulsed by well-defined doctrine of justification by faith. Now, don't have time to go into the justification by faith um, uh, doctrine or teaching in the Bible. But friends, I really think the last few weeks you've been journeying through uh, the Beatitudes has laid a beautiful foundation of what that looks like and what that means. As you engage with those principles, you're, you're, you're living out Jesus' working in and through you. You can't choose to be poor. You can't make yourself humble. You know, there's a, there's a spiritual hum- humility that's being described. There's a spiritual poverty. There's a spiritual hunger that's being described. And all that is from God. Keep connected to these great principles of Jesus' kingdom. Yeah? Don't buy into that rebellion, that political fight where Satan is trying to uproot God's principles and put himself inside of you. Um, friends, I'd love to see you. Um, I'm going to end here. We could talk more and more. I have loads of quotes. I had to redo this because it was way too long. But anyway, I hope you, you're blessed. I hope you have a wonderful Sabbath. And um, yeah, I look forward to seeing you guys. Let me pray with you. And until then, we'll, we'll yeah, until next time. Father in heaven, thank you for Roy and Jinha. Thank you for their beautiful church. And um, I look forward to a time when we can get together and um, yeah, have a chat. Um, this afternoon, this morning, whenever it is, um, we've just sort of seen this idea that, you know what, we are all susceptible to becoming our own leader, our own ruler. We're told in Second Thessalonians that there was a great rebellion that was coming. And I think we're living in the midst of that. People choosing to do what they want when they want. And ours is to follow after you. That's why we're in this community. But even communities gathered in your name can also go down a bad place as Paul called out and I just want to pray Father that you continue to bless uh, Melbourne City Church their leadership, the members that they can continue to follow after your path, continue to share the great and wonderful life changing principles of the kingdom of heaven bless them to this end is my prayer in Jesus name, Amen Thank you guys. It's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully the calm always hasn't been too loud and the wind. I'll see you soon. God bless. Bye.